You are now listening to the QD Podcast. Is this what you want? Huh? Is this what you want? We're coming in again, What's up, everybody? You're listening to the QE Podcast, and you're here with your boy Q Hicks right now. And I got Ega on the other line. Ega, tell the people what's good. What's up, everybody? We got a lot coming for y'all today, man. We got NBA playoffs, Heat versus Celtics, Warriors versus Mavs right now. So getting deeper into that playoff picture for the NBA. So, you know, we're coming with that. Uh, We got a lot of current events to talk about with all the mass shooting stuff that's been going on. First off, this is your first time listening to the Q&E podcast. Definitely subscribe to all of our podcast platforms on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. And appreciate all of the new listeners that we have been gaining over the past few months. Definitely appreciate the support. But let's just dive right into what the Eastern Conference Finals matchups and for the Western Conference Finals matchups. Because we already seen game one of the first two series. So we see how everything is kind of laying out on both sides even though for the celtics in the heat series we had a lot of injuries on both sides with no kyle lowry for the heat and no marcus smart and no al horford for the first game but edgar what was just your biggest takeaway from game one uh my biggest takeaway was although the heat uh led a stretch towards the end of the game and they closed it in amazing fashion the boston celtics they they played with a lot of fight it was really a next man up mindset even though they they had Marcus Smart out and they had Al Horford out it was almost like it didn't matter for a good portion of the game there were a lot of moments where I'm like the the heat better to they better stay on their toes because if they don't the Celtics are still gonna find a way to pull away with this but um the heat did phenomenal Jimmy Butler did what you've been telling him to do all season just be the bucket getter and then everything else will fall in place so I think the heat did a great job of closing it out but the Celtics showed me that no matter who gets hurt, they have somebody next in line who could be that next man up. Yeah, and especially looking at that that game, I was worried in the first half for sure that they were go they were gonna blow it because even though they didn't have Marcus Smart, they still have a lot of talent, at least like a five man rotation, including Derek White, that can still give you buckets on any given night. It can still beat you on any given night without an Al Horford. So I was definitely worried because Robert Williams was getting off in the first half. Uh, Jason Mm -hmm. Tatum had 21. Brown wasn't playing that well, but you still have to worry about him going off at any given moment. So there still have so many explosive playmakers that you have to worry about. So we're going to see the real Celtics in game two. But I think it's still going to be a close matchup. I think this series is going seven. I was looking at Celtics in seven, but I'm really liking how the Heat are looking, bro. If everything goes right for the Heat, if the shooters are making shots, and if these role players like the Vinces, the Struces, the... The heroes play with confidence, bro. I don't think there's anybody that can beat them. I don't think the Celtics can beat them. I think they're just a deeper team than the Celtics. So if everybody plays well, I think the Heat do win this series in seven. But they still have a long way. I wouldn't get happy off this one person. You have to see the Celtics uh, adjustments after in game two. But I think this will be a long series for sure. And I think the X factor for the Heat is going to be P.J. Tucker. P.J. Tucker did not have a lot of points. Barely, I don't even think he touched double digits. He didn't even get 10 points in the first game. But his presence on the court, and you, you've talked about this too, the presence he just has on the floor and the way he could just make defensive stops so much uh, easier, so much smoother, the way he could just be a physical body against people like Tatum, Jalen Brown, and, and other players like that. P.J. Tucker, I think, is the X factor for the Heat on how well they could be defensively and how well they can just control the tempo of the game. 
and he, he, him and Jimmy Butler, I feel like are going to be obviously Jimmy Butler is our best player, so you would expect him to be the key, but not for his offense though, but defensively because the Celtics have so many playmakers on offense, you have to have the wing defenders that can slow them down. So adding PJ Tucker in the offseason was huge. Having somebody versatile like Bam who can guard one through five is huge. Having Jimmy Butler, who's one of the best two-way players in the league, is huge. So that's why I can give them the edge over the Celtics right now because I think they have enough to keep up with the Celtics offensively. And I would give the Heat the edge uh, when you talk about um, defense as well, especially what I was seeing in that game one. When you say you got to go against Jimmy Butler and you have all of these shooters on Miami that can that can really go at any point. You don't know who's going to be that second leading man for Miami on a lot of leading nights. And I think that's the unpredictability we were talking about last week when we talked about Memphis. And that's why they were winning without job. I think it's the same thing with Miami of, yeah, you can prepare for Tyler Hero to be the second best player. You can prepare for Bam to be the second option. But you honestly don't know. Sometimes it can be Gabe. Gabe had 15 in that game one. Struess had... Uh, 20 in those last two games in the 76ers series, and he had a good game one versus the Celtics. So you honestly don't know who's going to be that second option. Now, I think that's a good thing for the Heat's direction because you don't know. You don't have anybody that you have to really prepare for outside of Jimmy Butler. Everybody else, you really don't know what you're getting, and that could be a good thing in the Heat's favor. So I, I really like what I see in the game one. But like I said, it's only so much that you can take away from it, being that they didn't have their best two defenders. So how do you feel like it will play for the rest of the series without or with Al Horford and with Smart coming back? Uh, it's going to be hard fought uh, regardless of who is or is not playing. I don't see Marcus Smart and Al Horford just giving the Celtics that much of a leverage to where it's going to be a mismatch defensively. I think the Heat can still keep up with them. Al Horford, uh, outside of Bam, we don't have anybody his size. I, I think that can keep up with him. But I think the the grit that the Heat have, I think we can still get it done. I think, like you said, I, I think I called this series for six games. You called it seven. It, it's still going to be six or seven easily. I don't, I don't see either team just nudging away, ending this in five or sweeping – that happening on either side. So regardless of who comes back, whether Lowry comes back, Marcus Smart, I got the Heat. I said the Heat in six. Mm. Mm-hmm. Like, like I said, bro, before before the, the first game, I think I was riding with Celtics, man, but I think I'm going to just ride out with my team and say Heat in seven. I think, uh, And I think the coaching advantage is another reason why I give it to the Heat as well. And I think we've seen that in game one, the coaching adjustments that was made in the second half. I don't think the Ime Udokas really were prepared for it. Miami went on a 22-2 to two run to start the second yeah. half and really jumped on the Boston, the Boston Celtics' head in that, that second half. So I think usually we're – I think we're the best third-quarter team in the NBA, and that's all about adjustments. Oh, we see what you're going to do in the first half. We know how to counteract that in the second half. So I think the coaching advantage will be a key part in this series as well. Not to say Ime Udoka is not a good coach, but I think Spo is the best coach in the game right now. But like I said, it's just going to be something to see. Obviously, Smart and Horford are going to be some huge, um, impactful players. But I think the Al Horford that we seen last series is not going to be the Al Horford we see this series. I think he was going crazy against the the Bucks because the Bucks were really daring Al Horford to beat them, and he beat mm-hmm. them thoroughly. Like he yeah. had some thirty point games, he had some twenty point games, like a lot of twenty point games last series. But that's because he was guarded by Brooke Lopez most of the time, and Brooke Lopez wants to stay in the paint. 
So when you're giving Al Horford 10 feet of space and allowing him to shoot the three, he's one of the best three-point shooters on that team. He's going to knock them down. But with the heat, we're not going to give you that ability. We're going to stay stuck to him. So that's going to be more, mean more driving lanes for Tatum and Brown. But Al Horford, I really feel like, is the X factor for this team. And that's why I feel like they've gotten to the Eastern Conference Finals. So I don't think he will be as impactful because he won't be getting guarded the same way. I think they guard him with somebody like a Struess or guard him with somebody like on, somebody on the smaller stature because we're not worried about him posting up. We're more so worried about his three-point advantage because I think he's shooting like 45% from the three. As long as you neutralize that part of his game, I think you will be fine. But I think that's he's the X factor. If he gets going for that team, then we can really see this series really like blow up in Boston's direction because you cannot have Al Horford going for 30 points. I promise you, you right. can, especially when you got to worry about Tatum, you got to worry about Brown. It's like smarts can have some games where he gets you 20 plus. If you got to worry about everybody going off, it's like, okay, now it's too much to handle. But if you can neutralize him and all you have to worry about is like the two heads of the snake in Brown and in Tatum, it's like everything becomes way more manageable. But I think they have the, the defense, the defensive strategy to slow Al Horford down in this series. So yeah, it's, it's definitely going to be interesting for sure. And moving on to the Western Conference Finals, we have the Mavs versus the Warriors. We also seen that game one. That was a blowout thoroughly. But we've seen the same thing in the Western Conference semifinals. The Suns won the first couple of games against the Mavericks. And the Mavericks turned that whole series around to end up taking that series and getting to this point. So we can't be surprised and we can't really be deterred because they still have Luka Doncic on their team. So where do you really sway with this series? I think the thing with the Mavs is, <clears throat> unlike other teams who make adjustments mostly after halftime and in the third quarter, like we were just talking about the Heat, the Mavs, they make adjustments for the next game. And that could be very detrimental when you're playing somebody like the Warriors when it's not cool to be a game or two behind. Like, that's a team that you want to be toe-to-toe with. They win one, you win one, back and forth, or you try to get the lead if you can't. So I think the Mavs are going to come out way different than what they did in the first game. And I think they can sneak um, an away win um, in Golden State. But that that's a terrible game to play when you're playing it against Steph Curry and uh, Steve Kerr coaching the Warriors team, especially when Clay and Draymond are uh, clicking and, you know, the big three that they have is at full cylinder. So I, I think the Mavs will still make this interesting. It was game one. It was a blowout. Warriors were at home. I ain't, I ain't expect too much different, but um, I think it'll still go six to seven games just because Luka makes adjustments after the game. I don't necessarily like it, but that's what they tend to do. And this is the thing about the Mavs. We always say that they're better when everybody is involved, when you get Brunson, Dinwiddie, when everybody is going, obviously they're a better team. When Luka doesn't have to score 40, they're a way better team. We've seen that toward the back ends of that Sun series, but I think the Warriors are wise to it at this point. I think they're going to allow Luka to score that 45, that 50, however many points he wants to score and neutralize everybody else because he mm -hmm. can score 50 and they still, they still lose. The first couple of games in that Sun series, he averaged 40, 45 points and there were losses. But when he had to take that step back and when Brunson started to get involved, when Dinwiddie started to get involved, that's when we see everything get together for the Mavs. I don't think the, the Warriors are going to allow that at all. I think they want Luka to score everything. They want everything to flow through him. They don't want it to be Brunson. They don't want it to be Dinwiddie. They don't want the others to really step up to the plate. They, wish, they just want him to score as many points as he wants to. 
as long as he can stay in the game, as long as everybody else doesn't get involved. And I think that's a good strategy because that's the I think that's a way where, yeah, Lucas, because Lucas unstoppable. You can't really stop him, but you're, it's not really good team basketball when he's scoring 40 and it's still losses. So I think the Warriors are wise to it. And that's going to be their strategy. And that's what we kind of seen in game one as well. And it was what Larry Bird said about Michael Jordan. You know, we we can't stop Jordan. He's going to get his. He's going to score on everybody. He's going to have 30, damn near 40 points every other night. If we can stop everybody else and just make it to where he's the solo man and he's the only one really producing, then we got a chance to win. And that's exactly what the Warriors can do. But it, it's going to be – it's yet to be seen. I, I think if – the Mavs can do what they did to the Suns even halfway against the Warriors. This can still be a very interesting series. I don't see either team getting blown out like this again. I think the Mavericks will get a couple of games, but I still would say Warriors in six because the Warriors are not the Suns, and they're not as easily guardable as the Suns were, especially toward the back end of that series where the Suns' offense was really predictable. And when CP3 isn't playing at a high level, it's like, bro, we can we can really guard this with ease, bro. We really don't have to have our stars playing at the our optimal level to beat the Suns, especially mm-hmm. toward the back end. We've seen that blowout in Game 7. It's like when nobody really came to play, everybody for the Mavericks really knew what to expect when it came to that. But I think with the Warriors, you never know what to expect. With Curry, with Poole, with Clay, with Draymond, with so many different options on the floor, you don't know who will go off on any given night. But with the, the Suns, you already knew it. It was either going to be Booker or it was either going to be CP3. With them, you have multiple options. And even when you stop something like a pick and roll with the Suns, it, it's just so much more difficult when you have somebody like a third option. So if you stop a, a Draymond and a, a Steph pick and roll, how hard that is to stop. If you, even if you stop it, we can pass out of that pick and roll and pass it to somebody like a Jordan Poole who can go one-on-one, and he's going to get a bucket on most likely anybody because he's one of the best ISO players in the league. The Suns didn't have that option. Other than CP and other than Book, who are you passing to as that third option? But when you have an elite scoring third option in a Jordan Poole who can get a bucket whenever he wants to, it's like you can't really stop us, really, bro. You can't really stop us. And I think that's the difficult challenge for him because even if you try to, to hold down the, the 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 regular Spaz brothers, you still have the third one you have to worry about who's one of the best ISO scorers in the league. And I think that's the difference that we're seeing right now. So it, it's going to be something. I, like I said, I think the, the Mavs get a couple just because of the greatness of Luka. But I think yeah. this series really leans heavy in the Warriors' direction. I really do. And I agree. I still got Warriors in six. I just think it'll be a very exciting six. I don't. I don't see it going seven, but I don't see. A, I don't see another blowout game, and I don't see. I don't see a game seven either. So six games. I got Warriors winning it, and each game after this game one is going to be a nail biter. And moving back to the second rounds, I did want to uh, uh, harp on the Mavs and the Suns series because we seen Pat Bev this week really going a, a hate tour when it came to CP3, and he got a lot of slander for it, a lot of backlash for uh, all of his comments that he made on ESPN. But Edgar, how did you feel about the, the slander fest that he really had towards CP3? I mean... Don't get me wrong, and I, I agree with Joy Taylor because Joy Taylor said exactly what I was thinking. We love the trash talk. There's nothing wrong with, you know, great 
I don't want to call Patrick Beverly a great player, but very good and great players. Like we love seeing the trash talk. We love seeing the animosity. It creates a better story. It creates a better game when these players play against each other. But Patrick Beverly is just not on that level to where he can go at Chris Paul the way he was. Don't get me wrong. Chris Paul did not play well throughout majority or damn near all of that math series. But when it got to the point where Pat Bev was just completely criticizing Chris Paul's career as if he was that guy that could just do that, that's where a lot of people came out and people were saying, oh, y'all just defending Chris Paul. Chris Paul, the golden child, he can't do no wrong. It's like, no, it's not that. It's just, okay, criticizing how he was in the series is totally different from you trying to discount this man's whole career. Like and and that's where Pat Bev got it mixed up. It's like he, even um what you call it, uh dude from um my boy, uh all the smoke um, dang what's his Ethan name? Jackson? Nah, Matt Barnes. <sighs> yes, Matt Barnes. I don't know why I couldn't think of his name, but um Matt Barnes. Even he was like, bro, like we were role players. Matt Barnes said to himself, I was a role player. Patrick Beverly, you're a role player. This isn't our level of conversation that we could have when it comes to players like this. So that was my Pat Bell. Was it entertaining? Yes. Was it even funny to a certain extent? Yes. But you, when you're talking about automatic Hall of Famers, first ballot Hall of Famers, your resume has to come somewhat close to that. And it, it just doesn't. This shit, that shit was just weird to me. Not even what Pat Bev said, but the backlash that he's getting for it because this whole entire season, Niggas have been digging in on Russell Westbrook, and niggas have been slandering him completely. And y'all ain't been standing up for that nigga like y'all been standing up for CP3. When CP3 looked trash in them last five games, bro. So I don't understand why nobody came to Russell Westbrook's defense on his career when he was getting slandered this entire season. But when CP3 got a bad series, y'all want to stand up for him like this. It's not making sense. When people even lesser than Pat Bev were criticizing Russell Westbrook. So what, what's the difference when we talk about that? Like I, I didn't have any problem with what Pat Bev was saying about CP3. We already know them boys are our enemies at this point. You get that man on a TV show, obviously he gonna wake up and choose violence, and he gonna hate on that nigga on live television. Y'all already knew what time it was if you're gonna get Pat Bev on ESPN. And hating on somebody or criticizing somebody on a terrible series, when y'all just did that with Russell, Russell Westbrook the entire uh, year, especially somebody like a Kendrick Perkins, for example. Kendrick Perkins was a role player his entire career. The main person who was criticizing Russell Westbrook. But we ain't say, oh, Kendrick Perkins, you can't criticize Russell Westbrook. You didn't have half the career Russell Westbrook did. So why are we criticizing Pat Bev? Pat Bev had a solid career in the NBA. Been in the NBA for a long time. Same as Kendrick Perkins. But Kendrick Perkins always criticizes Russell Westbrook. And Pat Bev can't criticize Chris Paul? Well, what's the, what's the difference there? So that's why I say I think Pat Bev is getting too much hate. I understand it, but I think it's more so because they're enemies. That's why we're getting it. But everybody coming to CP3's defense is why I'm confused. Like, this has been multiple years in a row. CP3 has came up short, bro. He deserves this hate. He Y'all got to stop hiding that man from the hate, bro. And it's not just been this year where he's come up short. His entire career, bro, he's come up short. And somebody calls him out on it. Even though it's his biggest hater, somebody who's basically telling the truth about this man, really, he said who he came up short. Y'all want to say, oh, no, you ain't have half the career. What does that matter? <laughs> what does that matter if he's had half of the career, if he's speaking the truth? So I think we're missing, we're missing the message because of the medium. 
the medium is Pat Bev and the message is correct though, but we don't want to hear it because, oh, it's Pat Bev. Oh, he a hater, one of the biggest haters in the league. But the things that he was saying, some of the things I feel like was a little out of line, saying he was a cone and all that shit. But a lot of the shit that he was saying was like, that shit is on point, honestly. Yeah, and, and that's why I didn't necessarily dislike everything he was saying. And that's why I was saying, like, him criticizing the series and all of that, that was cool. But like like you said, the whole Chris Paul is a cone and all that other stuff he was saying about him, it's just like, come on, bro. Like, not now you're just saying stuff. He did the same thing with Jason Tatum. Like, he was trying to argue with J.J. Reddick that Jason Tatum was not a great defender. Like, we didn't just watch this man lock up damn near a top, not even top three, damn near the greatest scorer we've ever seen in Kevin Durant. Jason Tatum locked that shit up like it was nothing. And Pat Bell going to sit on that. But he's not the only person I've heard say that either, though. He's not the only person I've heard say that. Whether he is the only person or not, it's just like we we just seen what we've seen. And you finna sit here on national television and say, He's he's a great defender. Mm. Oh, okay. Like we didn't just see what we saw, so it's just I don't know, bro. Pat Bell, he he's very controversial. I'm not gonna sit here and say everything he said is wrong because I do agree. Chris Paul has come up short a lot in his career, but at the same time, he's had such a Hall of Fame resume and career at the same time. It's possible to still come up short and be that Hall of Famer at the same time. So I I don't know. I just feel like he was teetering on the side of over criticizing him more so than just telling flat out truth but with everything but what's said. the what really bro what is the difference between russell westbrook and chris paul where one it feels like can be criticized at a high all-time level but when one comes up when the other comes up short it feels like oh you can't talk about chris paul outside of like the the day he actually comes up short what is the difference both of them don't have rings so y'all don't have that argument both have had hall of fame careers going to be first ballot one is the triple double king another is the point god but one gets criticized at an all-time level and the other does not what is the difference but y'all feel like y'all can criticize one whenever y'all want to who anybody can criticize russell westbrook when, but when it comes to chris paul oh we can't do that we can't criticize chris and, on, bro. and I agree because I, I came up to Russ defense when when they, when they got to the point where they really started going at that man family, talking about his wife, his kids and all that. That's when I was like, bro, like, come I'm on. I'm just now. talking it, about really legacy, though, bro. I'm just talking about legacy. I ain't even talking about the death threat. I'm just talking about legacy in general. Where y'all feel like where y'all feel like Russell Westbrook is fair game and Chris Paul is damn near untouchable. That's oh, what no, I'm no, saying. They, like, they both fair a- game to me. They both fair game not, to me. As long not as you don't this, criti- not in this, not not in this space though. But because as if long Russell- as you don't criticize what they, as long as you're not trying to criticize the obvious truth of what they have done, and I think that's what Chris Paul was doing. That's what was upsetting me. Not Chris Paul, Patrick Beverly. That's what Patrick Beverly was doing. He was criticizing shit that was like, no, bro, like there's facts to go against stuff that you're saying right now. Like it was that type of stuff. It wasn't the fact that he was just criticizing Chris Paul's career. It was the fact that it's certain shit that you're saying right now that it's like, no, that's not true. Chris Paul has been known to be a great defender. Chris Paul has been known to be one of the best floor generals in basketball, period. Like, those are things you you can't knock. You just can't. You can talk about how he's come up short all you want, but it's certain shit that you just can't criticize because you have no leverage. And I feel the same with Russell Westbrook. I love Russell Westbrook. I'm just, I just feel like but this that's time my point. is just a little What bit does the leverage have to do with anything, bro? Everybody can have their opinion at this point. 
The fact that people are throwing leverage and saying that, oh, he can't talk about this because he's not on the level as Chris Paul, then that would mean only a select few people are allowed to talk shit about Chris Paul. And that should not be true. Anybody should be able to talk about Chris Paul. Anybody should be able to criticize Chris Paul. You don't have to be on the same level as him. When multiple people have criticized him before, have not been on the same level as Chris Paul. It's only a few people that are on that level in general. And it's the same thing for Russell Westbrook. It should only be a few people that criticize Russell Westbrook, but we hear a plethora of people talk shit about Russ. So why is the that's that's what I, that's all I'm calling out? Did Pat Bev get out of line with some of the comments? Yeah, but that's what I, the, where I have a problem with is the leverage. Oh, Pat Bev, you shouldn't be saying that because you're not on the same uh, stratosphere as Chris Paul. Like, what does that matter? Niggas is just talking sport. Y'all know he one of his biggest haters and enemies anyway. Y'all know y'all is going to get shit talking. But the leverage point is where I just throw that bullshit out the window, bro. Because that shit doesn't count when you talk about Westbrook. But that shit counts when you talk about CP3. Both CP3 and Westbrook don't have rings. And both are going to be first battle Hall of Famers. One, I feel like it's fair game. And the other one, I feel like it's protected by the media, bro. And Pat Bev even said it when he talked about it a little bit with Stephen A., he said, because I think Stephen Hay ended up asking him, like, why do you think that Chris Paul is shielded and doesn't get as much criticism as everybody else does? He was like, because he's the president of the MBPA, like he's the point guy. He gets so much respect around the league. And then he said, look at Russell Westbrook. Russell Westbrook is a first ballot Hall of Famer, has the same credentials, but he gets criticized a hundred times over over somebody like a Chris Paul. Why? What is the difference? Both of them come up short in the playoffs. So you can't say one is better in the playoffs and one isn't. So what's the difference? And that's what I'm just trying to point out to you today. Like the leverage thing shouldn't be talked about when we talk about that shit. And we got to look and, at the two, the two examples. And even though we know Russ is labeled as the villain of the NBA 99% of the time, to your point, that shouldn't matter. You could be the villain of the NBA. You could be the, the quote unquote bad boy of the NBA, the dude in the NBA that everybody just has something negative to say about. But I agree. If one is going to be fair game, somebody else who has the that's, same type of resume. That's all I'm saying. Fair game as well. That's all I'm saying, bro. That's all I'm saying. If we're going to criticize, we heard Russ slander the entire season, bro. So if Russ going to get slandered, oh, Chris Paul need to catch all of this heat. The only time I heard Chris Paul slander was after game seven, and that was it. It felt like that next morning, everybody was trying to cape for that man, talking about some, oh, he was exhausted. Oh, he was tired. Oh, he 37. But y'all was riding his dick the whole season. Oh, y'all was saying he was an MVP candidate the whole season. But when he come up short in the playoffs, y'all don't want to talk about him no more. Y'all don't want to criticize no more. Why? Because he's held in such high regard in the NBA? No, he should be fair game just like everybody else is when you talk about criticizing. Y'all were just in on James Harden the whole the whole Heat Sixer series. Y'all were riding James Harden. CP3 did not catch any of that same level of hate, any of that same level of criticism. When both of them are going through the same thing. You can say age, you can say the body is breaking down on both of the players, but it felt like James Harden was getting all the criticism. Well, Chris Paul is getting slid under the rug and nobody's trying to talk about him other than Pat Bev. Like I said, did Pat Bev step out of line with a couple of comments? Yeah, but most of what he was saying was correct, bro. And I feel like somebody had to step out of the line and say, no, he has come up short. We need to talk about this guy. So I think that it, it even though you can say it was out of line, it was a good point that he made with that, bro. The CP3 gets way, he gets, he gets passed. I, I way too many passes. I will agree. And moving forward with uh, the NBA lottery. Well, the NBA lottery was this past Tuesday, and we found out who are the top 14 picks 
actually we found out the whole draft order this year mm -hmm. and we found out that the magic the thunder the rockets and the kings and the pistons will be the top five pick edgar who would you have for your top five picks in the nba draft top five i didn't even think about all five i know chet holgren uh, chet holgram <laughs> is going i i got him going number one i ain't gonna lie to you I ain't think about the other four, honestly. Damn, that's a good question. I got Chet going number one, though. That's for sure. I see a lot of people going Chet with number one. Um, I don't know how much I really I, like it. <laughs> I don't like it. But before we even get into the pick, I don't like the fact that the Magic got the number one pick. That shit pissed me off, but you can go ahead. <laughs> you, you feel like they're going to blow it? <laughs> yes. <laughs> mm. I can see that. I don't know what has to happen with, bro. I don't know what has to happen with the Magic, bro. I, for, I really forgot Cole Anthony was on the Magic until I seen the Magic got the number one pick. I don't know what happened. I think franchise... this is what they needed. I think this is what they needed, though, bro. They needed, like, a tent pole. So they needed a foundation. They had a, they have a good, lot of good role players, but they have no foundation to build around. And I think that's what they have to hit on with this one. Who is the player that we know for sure is going to be the number one who we know we can build around for the next 10 to 15 years? If you hit on that player, then it will be good. And that's why I think the Chet Holmgren pick is kind of not where I would go with if I was the Magic because it's still some uncertainty with him. Even though his potential could be higher than everybody else's, there's still some uncertainty while I feel like some other picks I feel like are more so set in stone, like he's going to be good. Like Jabari and Paolo, I think for sure are going to be good. While Chet is, has the higher potential over the, those two, I think it's still like, ah, who is he guarding in the NBA? Is he going to really get killed when you talk about him playing the five? Like, he's still slim for his frame. Like, there's still more question marks when I think for the, the Paolos and for the Jabaris. I think that's the players you have to build around, and you know they're going to be good right off the bat. So that's more so I, where I would be leaning. But I'm hearing that the Magic want to go for more high potential, so I don't know where to really go with that. I can see Jabari. Well, I don't know if Jabari will fall to the Pistons, but if he went to the Pistons, I would like that. Uh, but I'm, and the I'm Pistons sure got hold too. Shout out to my Pistons too, because yeah. they we were supposed to get either Paolo or Jabari, and they hold us with the number five pick. Because we definitely and, had a top three or bottom three record in the league. They hold my Pistons for sure. And and that's why I was saying like I don't think Jabari is gonna slip to five. Oh, he's gonna sure. nah, be nah, top nah. three. He's gonna be top three for, for sure. sure. So if he's not going to the Pistons, I would like to see him at the Thunder. The Thunder have the Thunder haven't necessarily done great over the past four or five years, but they I feel like they can make a turnaround better than the Magic, better than the Rockets and the Kings. So I would say they have if he 17 first five, round picks. They have yeah, 17 if, if first it, round picks in the next five years. If Jabari does not fall to five to the Pistons, I feel like he should definitely go number two to the Thunder. This is how I think it should shake out. I think. I think out of the, the gates, Paolo Bancaro is going to be the most impactful player. As soon as he steps into the NBA, he's going to be 20 and 10. I think he's going to be, I think he should be the number one pick. I'll pick Paolo number one. He's a for sure 20 and 10 bucket when he steps into the NBA. Does he have to improve on defense? Yes, but I think for sure he's going to be good. He's the tempo that you can really build your foundation around. You already have good guards with the Suggs. You have Markel Foles. You have Cole. Like, you have a plethora of guards. So you ain't got to worry about the guards. But you have a big man who you can build around. Build around Ben Carroll. He's going to be 20 and 10. I think the Thunder should go with Chet. B, 
being that the the Thunder have more so of a younger team, there's more developmental opportunities. So that means Chet can do whatever he wants on his team. He can work on his perimeter game. He can work on his defense and not really feel pressure to develop as quickly as the other two players. He can really build out his game. He can really build out his frame with somebody like the Thunder. So I think he would be good with the Thunder. The Rockets, I would go with Jabari Smith at three. I think that's good. He's better on defense than I would say a Bancaro is. But he's. I think he's more so behind a Bancaro when you talk about offense, though. So that's why I would have him slipping to three. I would have him with Jalen Green. You have Kevin Porter Jr. You still got Josh Christopher. That's a night. Those are two nice tempos that you can build with if you're the Rockets. So if you get Jabari Smith at three, that's a steal, honestly. And I like that for the Rockets. Number four, the Kings. I honestly would go with Shaden Sharp at four. He is the player who he was supposed to play at Kentucky this year. He didn't really play. So he's basically going to be straight out of high school. But he's somebody who was the number one player in his class before he reclassified up. He's going to be one of them players where he's going to be a mystery player. You really don't know what to expect. You have to give him time to really develop because he hasn't played at college or in the league. But he's going to be good because of the athleticism. The shooting is there. 6'6". Six, six. He's getting a lot of comparisons to Brandon Roy. He's going to be good. And the Pistons, I would draft Jaden Ivey. You know Jaden Ivey from Purdue. We've seen his potential this year. We've seen how explosive he is. And I think that's what you look for with somebody like a KK. needs somebody who can play the point and can be the, the on-ball player most of the time. I think that's where Cade, I think um, some of his, his downfalls were this year. They had the ball in his hands too much. Well, I feel like he should have somebody who he should be the secondary playmaker and he should have somebody else playing the the one or the two next to him. So if you get somebody who's like a point guard, shooting guard combo, like somebody like a Jaden Ivey who has playmaker instincts, he can shoot the ball. He's explosive. He's getting a lot of comparisons to John Morant and to Russell Westbrook. I think that's the player that you take at five for the Pistons, too. And I think that's a good comparison with Cade, especially if that's your consolation prize for getting five. Jaden Ivey is somebody I would be happy with if I was the Pistons. So that would be my top five. I would have Bancaro, Holmgren, Smith Jr., Sharp, and then I would have Jaden Ivey at five. And, and I think for Jaden Ivey going at five, I think that's a huge jump in his draft stock. I don't think anybody else has looked at Jaden Ivey going top ten, really. So that, that would no, be he was he was that this, this whole year. He was for honestly real, rated higher. Yeah, he was rated higher. Well, higher than- he was like – yeah, he was like a top two pick at, at one point in this season when his shot was like falling at an all-time clip because I think he was shooting 40% earlier in the year. But I think toward the end of the season, it started to slip down a little bit. It was end up being I, like I was going to say, at, after March Madness, when it came to people talking about like draft stocks and whatnot, I didn't hear Jaden Ivey name too much. But then again, I didn't pay attention to uh, college like early in the season. So like you said, he was probably high on that list at that point. Yeah, because it's, it's it's really a big four when you talk about the this draft class. Like I said, Ben Carroll, Holmgren, Smith Jr., and Ivy are honestly the big four. And you got Shaden Sharp, who a lot of people didn't expect to be in this draft class, is shooting up draft boards because you don't know what to get with him. He has a lot of potential, but he hasn't played any college games. So I think somebody like the Kings are going to take a chance on him, especially with the Kings. It's the Kings. I don't. They gonna don't they gonna do the some Kings. crazy shit. <laughs> I, I don't care what the Kings do. <laughs> I really don't care what they the do. The Kings bro. are gonna take a shot, bro. They're gonna take a shot in the dark and hope that shit hit, my nigga. So I told yeah, you that's what I expect. I told you they need to do the Russian roulette. If they do the Russian roulette with these picks, <laughs> I'm telling you, the Kings will stop being trash. Well, I promise you, 
in two years, if they did the Russian roulette this year for the draft, the Kings within two years, they'll be a top 10 team. You'll be like, the Kings are actually good. Yeah, because they're not trying to lose no damn <laughs> The Kings are just a dysfunctional franchise. They will always lose. Moving forward, we have um, DeAndre Ayton on the move. So after the game versus the, the Mavericks where they got whooped in game seven, I think DeAndre Ayton only played 17 minutes. And a lot of people, a lot of reporters were questioning that because obviously he's their starting center. He's a part of their big three. And obviously he plays way more than 17 minutes on any given night. And Monty Williams was asked why he didn't play more. And he ended up saying that it was an internal decision, which led a lot of people to saying that, oh, um, him and um, DeAndre Ayton had a back and forth on the sidelines. It was reports that that ended up happening. I think he had ended up telling DeAndre Ayton to get back in the game. Ayton had ended up telling him, no, I'm not going back in the game because it was a blowout. He had to worry about his money, his free agency. It was so many things that went into that, that no that he ended up telling the coach. And uh, Monty Williams just, I guess, didn't uh, like that response at all. Obviously, being a coach, you really don't respect that type of response. But now a lot of people are saying that DeAndre Ayton could be on the move, especially with him being a free agent this offseason. And that's an attitude you don't want circulating around the league and in locker rooms. That That's an attitude you don't want people to know you have. If you're on a championship contending team and if you're losing and you can't even have a good attitude on a team like that, what kind of attitude can we expect you to have on the middle of the pack team that's getting blown out or a team that just barely made the playoffs and you're the focal point of that team now? You're not the third option. So I, I don't. I don't like the fact that he went back and forth with Monty Williams like that and the news comes out that, hey, he really just didn't want to play, you know, the last however many minutes of the game or whatever time period he was supposed to get in and just didn't want to play. Like, there has to be a level of heart with playing this game, bro, and that's with any sport. Yes, of course, you want to look out and make sure you get your money, but damn, like, we got to know you got some type of heart towards the team, towards your teammates at the same time. So I, I just think that was very immature. If if that really is the attitude DeAndre Ayton had, like, that's just very immature. You can't do that. And if you get traded or walk as a free agent to another team and you're the main guy, you cannot have that attitude. Like, you got to be willing to be on the floor whether you up by 30 in game seven or you down by 40 in game seven. So I, I just – I didn't like that when that news came out about DeAndre Ayton. I hope he does get whatever money he gets because he is a player that – he's not worth a max – but he is worth big dollars. He is a top he, – he is a number two, number three option on any playoff contending team, but he got to change that attitude for sure. And I think it was a lot of things that went into that that no and telling the coach that he wouldn't go back in. Obviously, you're getting blown out by 30. Obviously, you're not going to win that game. But I think it's more to, like, the free agency and not getting paid more so than, like, having an attitude toward the team. Because if you get back in that game and you get hurt and you know you're going to lose, it's like now it's hurting your chances of getting more money in free agency when you know that your your health is dependent on your contract. So if he gets hurt during that that blowout, what's going to happen. He's not going to get that same amount of money that he's looking to get. And I think him not getting his contract during last summer is the reason for that. So you can't really blame him for thinking about the, his money in the off season. Cause we've seen a lot of players think team first, like somebody like Isaiah Thomas, Isaiah Thomas was somebody who thought team first. He played through, uh, played through an injury, ended up killing his entire career, ended up killing his entire um, contract situation. He was on point to get like almost 200 million 
and didn't see any of that money because he was playing through injury for a team that really didn't look out for his best interest. So I think DeAndre Ayton was just looking out for his best interest. Should I play while being down 30 in a blowout when I got a contract extension coming up? Uh, it's not really the best for me, honestly, coach, especially when y'all don't want to pay me. If y'all would have paid me, I would have got him down 30. But now I got to worry about my free agency, bro. So I think that's the, 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 the double-edged sword that we're looking at. So it's like, yeah, you can call him a bad teammate. Like, oh, you didn't want to play back being down 30. But I think it's a lot of players that they think about the team first, and that ends up hurting you when you talk about contracts or you talk about potential injuries and that really derailing your free agency and the money that you make down the line. So I really can't be mad at him. I actually agree with him, honestly. Well, do you do you feel like Tyrese Maxey was in a similar situation in that Heat and 76er series where it literally in that last game, we all know it was Tyrese Maxey and Joel Embiid. That was damn near it. Those were damn near the only two players who showed effort on that floor. Tyrese Maxey is young as hell, got a lot of money and a lot of a basketball career to look forward to. He didn't have to give the effort that he gave. He was looking at James Harden like, why you ain't playing to this level? Like, yeah, we may be finna go home, but we ain't finna go out sad. You know, we finna go out fighting. And do you think, Tyre, I, I get their contract situations are different, but do you think they're similar at all with how he handled the situation and how Aiton handled the situation? I think it's a difference. And it was a difference in situation, too, because they weren't down 30. And it's a difference in contracts. I mean, Tyrese Maxey is still hungry. He's still looking for that contract. He's not, he, and this is only his second year, so he's not nowhere near like talking about uh, contract extensions or anything like that. He's just trying to prove to the coach that he wants to play no matter the situation right now. And I think it's just different those situations, like the amount of points you were down and the contract situation that we talk about too. So I think those are two situations. But um, I think Maxie is somebody who would play down 30, even in a contract year. That's just the type of player he is. But he's such a, a team player that I can see that in Maxie. But that could end up hurting him, too, because what if Maxie got hurt in a situation like that? And now we're like, damn, Maxie, you such a team player. But now they're going to dock you some, some millions because you got hurt playing in a blowout game down 30. Now your, your money is getting played with now. So, like I said, you can say, yeah, he's not a good teammate, but you have to think about your best interest in this game, bro, because you don't know how long you're going to be in the NBA. You got to make the most money you can as long as you're in the NBA. So, like I said, I agree with DeAndre Ayton. If I'm not getting back in, and he was getting eight up anyway, Luca was killing him anyway. So, if I'm getting back in the game, Luca just going to kill me? I'm cool, coach. <laughs> I'm cool, coach. <laughs> I'm going to stay on the sideline. So, I, I completely agree with DeAndre Ayton. I think he will be on the move. I don't think they want to pay him. You're already paying somebody like a CP 40 million. You pay him D book money. You're going to have to pay Bridges some money. You got some other players like the Cam Johnson is going to look toward an extension as well. Uh, Cam, uh, Jay Crowder. So it's a lot of people that you have to pay during this offseason. But Aiton is set on making the max money. Is he worth it? Uh, we can debate no. that. But no. <laughs> he's looking <laughs> to get max money. DeAndre Ayton is not worth max dollars. He's just not. And a lot of people, and a lot of people say he's not. But when somebody is set on that, somebody is going to pay him max money, bro. Well, it's not going to be one of the best teams. So, like I said, the Kings, the Kings have the cap space, and they probably are going to throw him that money. And you play with somebody like a De'Aaron Fox and a Sabonis. Shit, I'll play with those two players, especially if I'm getting the max. So now everybody, everything starts to get thrown in play now. And I think it's uh, I think the Suns really played around with a, a good future while not giving him his contract extension last year because 
you have a good nucleus with the, the Booker and Aiton thing, even with CP3 getting older. If CP3 leaves, you can still get somebody to sign on to be that third star once again. But now you're going to lose Aiton in free agency. That leaves a lot of things up in the air with this team because if Aiton leaves, you have nothing. Okay, and you're getting nothing for him unless it's a sign and trade. CP3 is going to, well, he got two more years before he done. Uh, then you're going to have Booker and Bridges, really gonna have booger and bridges which is cool but that's not winning you nothing so it's like where do you really go from there with with those two at your building block so it's like you just went to the finals last year now your team could be like really killed in like a year a year and a half so that's just crazy to think about and and draymond green said like what this is like three years ago now i think and he he got fined for it too when he was on uh nba on tnt he said Devin Booker needs to leave the Suns. He had no – DeAndre – not DeAndre. Draymond Green had no faith in the Suns organization to get Devin Booker on a championship-level team consistently and making his career literally just be in Phoenix the entire time. Like, Draymond Green seen this like two, three years ago, and now we're going to be in a situation where, damn, is it really just going to be Booker and maybe one other person? Like, after the – um, three years that we've seen the Suns had the type of run that they have, almost getting to the finals, getting to the finals, and damn near getting to the finals again, and now they're going to take like two steps back. So Draymond Green kind of seen this coming in the beginning. I think they, they built the, a team around him quickly, getting somebody like a, a CP3. I mean, you got to the championship. You know what I'm saying? And I think we take for granted how hard it is to get back. I think somebody ended up tweeting this uh, not too long ago. We see LeBron get to the finals every year, and now we start to think that shit is easy to get back to the finals back-to-back-to-back years. And it's like, bro, that shit ain't easy, bro. Like, the injuries take a toll. The players get better. Other teams get better. It's like, that shit's not easy to get back. And I think the Suns had to see that for themselves. Even though you got to the finals and you won 66 games, that shit's not easy, bro, because these other teams are getting better and are just as good as you these days, bro. And I think that's the that's the thing. You have to constantly improve. You can't stay the same and think you're going to end up with similar results. You have to constantly improve. And you're taking a step backwards if you're letting go of Aiton and if CP3 is aging and if you're not re-signing players to keep you in contention. Oh, you're you're taking steps back. So I think we're seeing that with the Suns too. Of oh, they didn't realize how hard it was going to be to keep up with the mm. with everybody else because they thought it was going to be easy just to get back to get back to get back. So. That's something you definitely have to take into account. And moving forward, we got the Nick Saban blast, the NIL and coaches, including Deion Sanders and Jimbo Fisher. I think Saban ended up coming out yesterday and saying that uh, Deion Sanders was paying all these people, Jimbo paying all of these players to come to the Texas A&M's and the Jackson States. And that's why the NIL is uh, why the NIL shouldn't be in effect because he's doing all of this and these coaches are doing all of this, blah, blah, blah. I, I just laughed my ass off because I was like, <laughs> Nick Saban, out of all people, like the dude, like Shannon Sharp said, the dude who can, in his sleep, get four or five-star recruits to just sign with Alabama easily, like you're the one who's going to come out and say something about getting paid to come to the school, and we can't sit here as as great of a legacy Alabama has, we can't sit here and act like every single player that goes to that school does it just because they just love Alabama and just want to go to Alabama. Like, that's the same thing with Clemson, Ohio State, all these schools that 
you know, seem to just easily just rake in these four and five stars. Yes, the legacy plays a part in it, but we can't act like these players ain't getting slid booster money under the table. And boosters did not just come around the last two, three years. Boosters have been around since college football got the spotlight that it did for decades now of just being as lucrative as it can be for these billionaires. So Nick Saban is just finally seeing that this can legally happen now. And you may not have the leverage you thought you did. Yeah, you got the legacy, but damn, if I could still low-key get to the league and I could play for prime time and I could be around black people, I could be around people that look like me 24-7, I'm probably going to take that route. Like, and it's, it's no knock against Saban as a coach, but you really showed your true colors, Nick, when you when you came out with that statement because it's like, damn, you ain't have a problem with all these other PWI schools taking your recruits because, hey, it's just part of the game. But now that the HBCU is able to have the same type of leverage you have, same type, same type of swagger, same type of pull that you guys have, oh, now it's a problem. Now it's like, whoa, whoa, this NIL shit got to cut out. Because I honestly think if Jackson State was not in this conversation and it was just, you know, Texas A&M and other schools like that, yeah, they'd be a little upset. But the fact that Dabo Sweeney and Nick Saban, two of the, um, the biggest powerhouse coaches in college football, are coming out now and just have a total, you know, disdain for this, I think it's really just because black coaches and black teams really have a chance now of getting all the talent. Yeah. And this is Jimbo Fisher's response to the allegations of the NIL from Nick Saban. We built him up to be the czar of football. Go dig into his past or anybody that's ever coached with him. You can find out anything you want to find out what he does and how he does it and it's despicable it really is and it's a shame we have to sit up here and have this conversation about things we do and it, it and it's personal to us yes it is it's personal to a and m it's personal to our players it's personal to our coaches and everybody involved and i know the guy know him really well it's amazing that we're allowed to do those things and i just find it funny because Nick Saban, I think Jimbo Fisher was a part of Nick Saban's staff not too long ago, like in 2005, I think when he was at LSU or his early stages at Alabama, he was definitely an assistant coach for him. So when he says that, oh, oh, I know what Nick Saban is doing behind closed doors, it's like Jimbo can really let out some secrets that nobody <laughs> really knows about that everybody always like has rumors about, but Jimbo can really let some shit out if he really wanted to. That's why he said, like, a lot of things that he has going on behind closed doors is despicable. It's like, oh, Jimbo, speak on him. He going to talk shit about your program, bro. You might as well say what's really going on with Alabama and why so many people were going there before. Because like you said, Alabama has been giving their players money forever, bro. It's not like people are just going to Alabama to play for Nick Saban, bro. Y'all can cut the shit with all that, bro. Honestly. Because these, these players can uh, get championship or get to the, the championship or national title game with a lot of different programs. You have Michigan, you got Ohio State, you got Clemson. There's a lot of different programs. So they're just not going to Alabama just for playing time and for championship experience, bro. It's something else that's uh, along with that, especially when they're not just getting five stars that are starting. Like these backups are five stars. I mean, the backups to the backups are five stars. So you can't tell me these players are just coming to play at Alabama, bro. It's something else to it. So I agree, bro, that Nick Saban is the last person that needs to be talking and, about anybody paying players, bro. And, and the backup thing that you just brought up is funny as hell because I, I forgot what 
lineup this was of running backs that Alabama had at one point. But you had Alvin Kamara, Todd Gurley, and it was like two other running backs yeah, all on the same. And like, enemies. you had all of these niggas on the same roster in the same year? And niggas were just comfortable sitting behind each other? I'm like, no, bro. Like, there has to be something deeper than you just want to play for Alabama and you just want to chill. Like, I get it. The legacy is important. That could be a part of it. That could be a part of the reason why you want to be there. But that ain't the full reason, bro. Somebody sliding you a check. Or it may not even be a check. Like Jim said, it, it's a lot of stuff that he could say that is very despicable on how he does it. What if these players go into Alabama because the way they can rub elbows with NFL scouts is just different than other teams can rub elbows with NFL scouts. So people might not even really be going to Bama just because they want to go. It may just be because I got the better opportunity going there. And it's nothing wrong with that. But let Nick can't act like that's just something only white schools can do or only certain powerhouse schools can do. If it's to the point now to where it's legal, like you, you can't say shit. Like, it's fair game now, bro. Like, the, the 10 five-stars that you automatically thought you was going to get, no, nah, they up for grabs now, bro. Like, Tennessee State, HBCU that nobody will really think to go to, they got a chance now. Jackson State got a chance now. Fam, you, Howard, when it comes to basketball, football, whatever sport, like, these athletes, predominantly black athletes, are up for grab for black schools just as much as white schools now. And I think that's really pissing a lot of these NCAA coaches off. So that, that's my take on it because, like I was saying, Shannon was talking about it earlier. You mean to tell me all these players from California just want to go to the country and just go to Alabama? Like, that just don't make sense most of the time. So I, I just and find Nick, it funny And Nick that can't act like his like whole secondary thing. don't got Hellcats, bro. Like, your whole secondary exactly, got Hellcats, my bro. nigga. Like, don't, don't act like you just so high and mighty. Like, yo, shit, nothing going on exactly. at your school, bro. Come on, bro. Stop playing with us, bro. Everybody iced out for the draft? Where's yeah, the money before, before NIL? I'm talking about two, three years yeah. ago and, and beyond. Niggas iced out going to the draft? Like, nigga, at practice, they, they, yeah, they iced out at practice. Like, at Alabama, they, they iced out. And it'd be, it be the same ones that be complaining that, you know, they don't get paid for this or they don't be having enough money to eat for this, but they iced out when it's draft time? That's funny. That's very funny. Yeah, <laughs> Nick. It was just funny because Nick is the one that's saying like Nick and Dabo, the people that have usually been taking the the most advantage of players, probably been uh, paying for players for years now. They just upset that the there's not advantageous to them that the NIL is here now. It's like it's spread out, bro. Everybody can pay players now, bro, and it's illegal. So nobody is doing anything wrong anymore, bro. Like we can have a sponsor pay this player 500,000 500, and nothing's wrong with this shit anymore. Like, and I think a lot of these coaches are, they hate how that shit is rolling. But a question I have for you though, and I heard this conversation on the herd today with LaShawn McCoy. And and this goes to the point that you always make of choosing the money over choosing, you know, being on a good team and everything. If you had if you let's say you let's say your kid, let's say this is your um your son, he's excellent in football. He got two schools looking at him. He got one school offering him five hundred thousand dollars, and they're the best school in the country. He has a high chance of getting a championship with them and everything. He's getting offered half a meal. You got this other school over here, and he has a higher chance of probably going to the league being on this team. This other team, he has a chance of still going to the league, but they offer him 1.5 mil. And he'll be the best player on that team, but you don't know if he really gonna get to the league. 
what are you choosing at that point? What are you choosing? You 1. just 5. gonna choose all the. <laughs> I'm picking one point five. Ain't no way. Ain't no I'm way. One point five. I'm, I'm the, be- the I'm the best. I'm the best player on the team. If I'm if I'm really like that, I'm going to get noticed. Period, bro. It doesn't matter. That's why I don't like the don't oh know, you're bro. you're barely going to get noticed here. You're going to get noticed here. If I'm really that nigga, like that y'all say I am. If I'm a five star prospect, like y'all say I am. I'm going to get noticed, period, bro. I'm going to the league, period, bro. And so I don't understand what we're saying. I'm picking 1.5 over 500 every time. I don't care what school I'm going to. I'm picking the 1.5. I'm going to the league regardless. I don't know, bro. I don't know. Because it's, pro- it's the same I thing. It's the same thing. I think it's, it's a harder situation. I ain't saying I'm picking the other bro. choice, but it's just a harder situation. It's the same thing with bro going to Jackson State. Are you going to get looked at the same because you go to the, the Jackson State? Are you going to get the same scouts and the same looks like all of these other people that's going to Georgia and Alabama? Probably not. But if I'm a five-star prospect, they probably giving him um, a two mil out there at Jackson State. They probably giving that nigga a bad to go to Jackson State. So he picked the bad. But he's going to be a, a top prospect. He's going to be a top pick because he's that guy. So just because he's at Jackson State doesn't mean he's not that talented. Doesn't mean he doesn't have all everything that you're looking for in a player. So that's why I'm looking at when I look at examples, bro. I think the the Travis Hunter example at Jackson State is somebody that we have to keep our eye on moving forward. Where he ends up getting picked in the NFL draft will tell a lot of future players that, oh, going to an HBCU is okay now because even if I go there, I can still be a first-round pick. Because there's no reason he should not be a top, uh, lower than a top-10 pick. He has too many, too many skills. Uh, he can play wide receiver and DB. He has too many skills not to be a top-10 pick. But if he slides to the second round, then what you're saying of, oh, be going to HBCU could hurt your stock a little bit, then I think more people realize that. But if he goes oh, in the top it, 10, it don't necessarily like, oh, okay, have to be it, it HBCU. It don't necessarily have to be HBCU. I was just saying small school in general. Well, not small school, but not a powerhouse, if that makes sense. Mm. It, ain't, it ain't necessarily have to be HBCUs. I just use him because I think Jackson State is a small school, but I think he's the he's the big fish in a small pond type of thing. So he's a he's a top prospect. So if I'm getting if he's the one the guy getting 1.5 and he goes to the small school to get the 1.5, well he could have got 500k from Alabama. But you know you're a, a ticket to the NFL at Alabama. But you know you're gonna get more money at the Jackson State. You go to Jackson State. Boom. You know you for sure would have been a top ten pick if you went to Alabama. But you slide to the second round because you went to Jackson State and you didn't play against those powerhouse type of schools. That's when that's why I said it can go toward your direction of okay, people are going to start going to the, the powerhouses more often than the HBCUs or to the smaller schools because, oh, okay, I don't get the same looks. But if he goes in the top 10 like he should at an HBCU or at a smaller school and he got the 1.5 to 2 million, people will continue to take that route. And I think he's going to be a top 10 pick. I'm just using him as an example. I think he will still be a top 10 pick even going to so it, it just has to be trial and error. It is really exactly. Have to be trial and that's error. why I said he's going to be one of the key players you have to keep your eye on because he's too mm. talented not to be a top 10 pick. But if he goes late in the first or second round, it's like yeah, he can be the player where a lot of people use him as like the case study of, oh, damn, yeah. you might have to go to a powerhouse to really be high in the NFL draft. So, yeah, trial and error for sure. And um, moving forward, <clears throat> just to go through some rapid news in sports. We have broadcast Brady. Brady getting offered $375 million to, I think, to go to Fox after he's done with the NFL. We've heard about a Drew Brees return. 
Drew Brees, he's not going to go back to NBC, so he's leaving a lot of his options open. He's even talking about going back to the NFL. And Jarvis Landry signed to the Saints. Edgar, what is your, your feelings about everything that's going on in the NFL right now? I thought Drew Brees just having this epiphany of, I might want to play football again after all these receivers uh, uh, pile up on the Saints and the Saints offense looks phenomenal and whatnot. Minus Jameis Winston. Oh, <laughs> I feel like what it was just funny. What did you say? Minus, minus Jameis what Winston. Mean? What do you mean? Minus Jameis Winston. I was talking about the talented offense. But uh, <laughs> no, add in Jameis Winston. He was the only reason they were left afloat last year. That offense was terrible without him. You see what Anyways. that offense looked like without him? Anyways, my do point. not play with <laughs> what, were they, what were they with what, what were they without Jameis? They were five and two with Jameis. Without Jameis, yes. they were two and seven. So don't come That's to fine. me about that. Oh, Jameis wasn't That's important fine. shit. Because once the once they had to go to Taysom Hill, they seen what real life was like. So don't talk shit about my man. Anyways, <laughs> <laughs> I just thought it was funny. When the powerhouse uh, of the offense grew, Drew Brees just decided I might want to return to football. So that was funny to say. I didn't pay attention too much to that. But I did pay attention to uh, Brady signing that Fox contract. Uh, he's going to be living his dream. I think Brady loves watching film a lot more than actually playing football at this point because the way he can just break down the game, that's going to be amazing to hear, bro. Like, the GOAT of football is going to be calling games for, like, what, the next 10 years after finishing a 20-plus-year football career. So that's just going to be gonna cool to say. more money in that, in that broadcasting contract than he did in his entire NFL career. Exactly, they said, I think he said that he made $333 million his entire NFL career, and his contract is 10-year, $375 million. That's, that's crazy. crazy. Getting paid almost 40 M's to broadcast games and not get touched <laughs> is crazy, bro. <laughs> And then Jarvis Jarvis Landry signing to the Saints that that was huge. Um, the Saints are always somebody that my Bucks have a hard time against. We can get swept by them in the regular season, or we could split with them. And um, it they they just always a bump in the road for us. And I think Jarvis Landry getting added to that squad. All jokes aside, that really does help Jameis Winston because you got Michael Thomas coming back. He's gonna be on one side. Jarvis gonna be on the other. Uh, that and they just is, drafted Chris Olave. Yeah, so it, it's it's going to be scary in New Orleans. I ain't going to say scary the way they're going to scare us, but it, they, they're going to be a force to be reckoned with when it comes to their regular season record. So the Drew the Drew Brees return. Drew Brees need to sit his old ass down. Because exactly. obviously we see what he looked like in his last season. We don't want that back in the NFL. Sit your ass down. You couldn't even throw past five yards. Sit down, Drew Brees. We don't want to, we don't want you anymore. Hey, straight slants and check better. down. Yeah, we don't want that anymore. We have real speed on the team. We don't need that anymore. So uh, Jarvis Landry to the Saints is a big deal. I think uh, drafting Chris Olave, wide receiver at Ohio State, was big. Michael Thomas coming back is big. And having Jarvis Landry to be your slot. Jameis is going to have that year, bro, where people are going to be like, Jameis top 10 for sure. I talked about it last year, and then he got hurt. So, obviously, my shit went downhill. <laughs> but I'm telling you, with that, now he has good wide receivers now. Last year, his number one wide receiver was Marquez Callaway, who most likely will not be on the team. That was his number one receiver. Now he got a number one receiver in um, Michael Thomas back, and you got the two studs in uh, Olave and Landry. So, I think I think it's going to be a big year for, for Winston. But yeah. y'all will finally see what I've been telling y'all for years. Everything. So I want to I want to get this on, on the record right now. 
What what are you predicting the Saints record to be? Out of 17 games without even looking at their schedule, what are you predicting the Saints to be? I'm I'm not gonna take this as your final guess. 10-7-11-6. I'm about to say you can amend this when we actually, you know, give our our predictions before the season starts, but I just want to hear your first guess off because their their defense is they they signed um Tyran Matthew too. So their defense is gonna be good as well. So they're gonna be 10 and 7, 11 and 6 for sure. They're going to scare y'all. They're probably going to beat y'all ass twice in the regular season and lose y'all in the playoffs. Y'all know how that shit goes. <laughs> I'll, give, I'll give you a chance to amend it. I'll give you a, that, that's a good That's a good first guess for now, but I'll, I'll give you a chance to amend it. Yeah, because defense, and then you bring back everybody on offense, you still got one of the best running backs in the league. Ooh, if I actually sit down and look at the rosters, I probably would have a better record for them. But, yeah, I'll think about it closer to the regular season. Y'all will see him fold like I've seen him fold. <laughs> years y'all will see it happen with, with a great squad with a great squad on top of it y'all gonna see Javis phone this year y'all gonna be like damn it really was him this whole time Javis should have won mvp like, last year if we keeping it to being Javis should have won MVP. Next topic, next, next, five next, and two five and two with Javis two and seven without him come on bro y'all disrespecting the man please <laughs> he got new eyes and new weapons ah. let's see what the hell happens all right, moving on to entertainment and current events. We got the Buffalo Mass Shooting. Yeah, so on uh, Saturday, what was Saturday? The 14th, there was a mass shooting uh, in Buffalo, New York, and the shooter's name is Peyton Gendron. Uh, he's an 18-year-old white male. Uh, he just walked into a supermarket um, that Saturday and just for no reason. Just well, I ain't gonna say no reason because it was definitely racially motivated. But I'm I'm just saying no reason in a sense of you had no true motive. Killed ten people, injured like three or four other people. Majority of these, if I'm not mistaken, were black people. Had the word nigger written all over his gun and everything. And it's it's just a situation where black people are just scared to do anything at this point. Uh, the jury indicted him today in court. And he has another court appearance June 9th, I believe the article said on CNN. Uh, but this is just, this is crazy, bro. Like how, I, I don't understand how time and time again, mass shooters can walk away and just go sit in a cell or just walk away and go sit in a mental institution. They don't get gunned down. They don't get yelled at. They get coddled. They get fed. They, they get all of this, bro. Like, People walked into that grocery store for the last time and did not know it. Like one of the, I seen um one family was talking with Anderson Cooper one night uh shortly after it happened and like they grandma they grandma just went to the store as always never came back they didn't hear from her for a couple of hours and they find out she's one of the victims like so people's grandmamas people's kids people's uncles aunties parents like it was. It's just a sad situation, bro. And this isn't the only mass shooting that's happened over the last seven seven days. I've heard there's been like at least six or seven within the past week. So this is just at an all-time high. It's just sad. I'm glad he was indicted by the grand jury today. I hope he faces a life sentence. I'll, I'll never sit here and say I want somebody to face the death penalty because I feel like that's playing God at that point. But I, I feel he should have nothing shorter than a life. Shit, he played God yeah. shooting niggas down. So why not yeah. play God with his ass? So I'm not mad at the death penalty at all, bro. And this, and I think I've seen um Denisha retweet something regarding like it's just scary to be black, bro. If you just you can't go to the grocery store without being worried for your life. You know what I'm saying? Like that. That's just so crazy to think about. 
like going into the grocery store, it's an innocent place. Everybody just doing their daily routine and you come out, you don't have your life anymore. You don't, you have to worry about your, your grandma being safe in somebody like, like a, a grocery store. It's just so crazy to, to, to think about, bro. And it's, I don't know what to do as, as a black person now, if you just can't go to regular places and not think you're safe in them. Like I remember when some people got killed at, um, a movie one time they got a, it was a mass shooting at some movies now it's yeah, a grocery like store cleveland. like i think that was and, cleveland you know what i'm saying theater. so it's like mm -hmm. at those safe havens for a lot of people you're not even safe you know what i'm saying when you got racially motivated acts like this going on i mean people got shot out of church i think that was the um what's my boy name drew drew something i forgot what his last name was he ended yeah. up uh doing that one at nine, the church, people, so. nine black people in the church you know what I'm saying? And once again, a safe haven for a lot of black people. So if you can't go to these safe havens for yourself and just do what you regularly do and not think you're safe in them, it's like, where, where can you really go and think you're safe? You know? So, and I think this is the, I think this is the product of the police departments though. I think they have to start killing these people on arrival though, bro. I, I really do. You have to send a message, bro, because you cannot allow all of these mass shootings to go down and the the shooter get away and walks away with their life bro you have to send a message like somebody has to pay for this shit jail is not enough these people either have to get really roughed up or some shit or they have to get killed when they showed up bro like you can't just walk away oh oh we got to put him in handcuffs softly oh we just gonna gently put him in the car that's just gonna fuel the next person who sees it to be like oh that's all they gonna do to me Oh, I'm going to do this shit to somebody else in my neighborhood. That's what we're seeing right now. We're just seeing nothing but copycat mass shootings. One person sees that, oh, this is, I'm not really going to get any consequences for it because if I go to jail, they're going to end up sending me to a, a psychiatric center anyway. So that's really nothing. So a lot of people are seeing what's going down and they're just adding to it, bro, because you're not doing anything to these shooters and the people that's doing all of these racially motivated acts. So all of these races are just going to continue to do it, bro. You have to make a, you have to send a message. You have to make a stand towards these people, bro. And unless you don't do that, they're going to keep doing it more and more. And on top of the fact of black people just being scared to do anything, it's we're scared to do anything wherever we are. Like, I don't think any city is like out of bounds at this point. I think every city, th this can happen anywhere, bro. Like Buffalo, New York, St. Petersburg, Florida middle of nowhere south dakota la like it does not matter where your city is it does not matter what state you are in this can happen anywhere bro like and i think that's the scary part about it it's not like there are certain locations that this continues to happen in it's really a city that you would have thought damn i thought that was a really peaceful area or damn i thought this was a you know, a well-kept um, and safe environment and whatnot. And, it, and it's like, no, like, this can happen anywhere at any time. So you just got to cherish moments with your people. <laughs> R.I.P. to all the people who passed away in this uh, terrible tragedy. R not R.I.P., but um, prayers and the worst part of And the worst part about this is that the, the shooter ended up having this live streamed on Twitch as well. Exactly, while this was. Bro. While this whole thing was going on, like, and during the video, because they ended up taking a video down on a lot of, like, the YouTubes and even on like, news stations, they ended up taking a video down. But when I was reading articles about it, it, it looked like he was shooting all of the black people. It looked like he was about to shoot a white person. He realized the person was white, ended up telling the white person sorry, and then immediately turned to a black person and shot him. 
So you mm -hmm. see that he didn't want to kill everybody in there. It was literally just for black people. He came in just to shoot black people. Like you said earlier, he had the word nigger written, written on his gun. So he already knew what the plan was. And he wanted everybody to see what he did. So these people just don't want to do it for their own amusement. They want other people to, to join in as well and see what they've done. So people are getting even more bold with the acts that they're doing. And that's why I say the cops have to send a message with this shit. Letting somebody get in the car and having somebody see their mother and uh, having everybody go on about their lives after doing some crazy shit like this is not going to stop it from happening, bro. Sending a message by either killing them or I don't know why, death penalty or something has to be sent as a message of, oh, we can't allow this shit anymore, bro. Because if you allow these people to just go to jail, psychiatric center, that same rotation, this will continue to happen. Because I think in the last six to seven years, it's been like 200 plus like mass shootings. Like it's been a crazy amount of mass shootings. And that's, that was something that was really rare before. And before the last six or seven years, it was rare to see a mass shooting. Now it feels like we hear about a mass shooting every other weekend, bro. So that's why I'm saying no messages are being sent because it's the same thing, same rotation of jail, psychiatric, jail, psychiatric, nobody being really punished for their actions, bro. So mm -hmm. I think that's what needs to change. And moving on to the next thing in entertainment and current events, we have monkeypox. Yeah, uh, this shit psyched me the fuck out. Um, <laughs> just when we thought we were done with, uh, you know, with COVID, we're, we're never going to be done with COVID. It's always going to be around. It's just we're getting better with handling it. But monkeypox occurs. The first case of monkeypox has been found in the United States. Uh, after being in Nigeria, uh, the UK, Central Africa, uh, it's made its way to um, the United States. It's like a cousin um, variant of the chicken pox, but it results in larger lymph nodes uh, popping up on your skin as opposed to the small chicken pox. And it, uh, I think they've seen the first cases around mid-2021, and that was made its way over here in the beginning of, well, the middle of 2022. And they say some of the um, symptoms are, you know, like flu-like symptoms, headaches, uh, um, fevers, and whatnot. So these symptoms are very similar to the common things that we see day-to-day -day with sick people. But the difference in uh, appearance, you know, is the larger lymph, lymph nodes that you get on your skin and they say the way this can spread is you know by if you have an open cut and somebody is making contact with you you can get it that way you know just having too much direct contact with somebody who has it so i hope this isn't the next big scare you know across the world when it comes to health after we just tried to start getting back to normal with uh with this whole covid situation so i thought that was crazy and is this the government once again putting something else out there to distract us being that COVID has slowed down or slowed down. It's like, all right, let's get these niggas something else to worry about. Let's throw a monkey pox. You feel what I'm saying? Like where did this monkey pox originate? Uh, where did it originate? Yeah. Cause usually it originates in California. Something always originates out there. Oh no, no, no. This, this came from overseas. Like this didn't originate. Yeah. But I'm saying it usually comes from overseas and it lands in California. And then it gets oh that's what that, that's what you're saying. Uh, t t two people in the it doesn't say where in the U.S. They were hospitalized in Massachusetts. Is it over here yet? Okay, it's it in was, Massachusetts. Oh, I don't I don't oh. know if that's where they originally like got here in the U.S., but that's where they were hospitalized. So that's what we can assume. So, 
y'all gotta be safe, bro. Cause I'm telling you, it feel like one person get it. It's like you hear about it one day, and it's like now people from your area got it. Now it's in Florida. Now everybody in Florida got it. So definitely be safe when you talk about that shit. And, and it's it's crazy because it it didn't surprise me that this disease existed because there's a lot of stuff I'm sure that exists as far as health complications that don't happen in the U.S. but maybe happen in China happen in parts of Africa like Nigeria, Ethiopia. There's probably certain sicknesses that happen over there that we probably have never heard of. Monkeypox clearly being one of them until now. So, And when I thought of monkeypox, I thought of the movie Damn Outbreak. I was like, oh, shit, they didn't find a way to make this real. <laughs> so, so definitely watch out, y'all. Continue to wash your hands, social distance. Like Quincy said, this could just be another distraction, but this could also be something that, hey, this could be the next big thing. We don't want anything yeah. like that again with the world shutting down. Exactly. And moving on to the next one, we got uh, critical race theory back in the headlines. Yeah, so a mother named Melissa Riley in Virginia, she's upset about critical race theory being taught in school because her 13-year-old son has identified himself as a black man. Uh, the lady, Melissa uh, Riley, she is white and Native American, but his father is majority black. Like he's um, by a physical standpoint, you think he's just totally black. I think he's mixed with something else, too. But he's the 13 year old son is now identifying as a black man. And he's noticing things in his life that he didn't notice before that he feel is racially motivated. And his mother is just very upset and she wants to school uh, the county school system that he's in because they're teaching critical race theory. And it's like, mm -hmm. you're you're upset because your son has found out that, hey, you are black. You are a black male and you will be treated differently systematically as you grow older. She's she wants to school. The school. <laughs> she wants to sue the school system. Yeah. I've been seeing a lot of this in the headlines over the past few months since they really started to teach it for real and really started to dive into like the history of black folks and stuff like that. And the white folks continue to want to stop it. But I think this is what we need, though, to push the, the culture really forward. We have to know about our past to really progress mm -hmm. fully in, in this country, to really know the hardships that come with being black. We can't be sheltered from it like a lot of these white parents really want you to be sheltered from it. So I think this is a good thing. I think, and it's a lot of people who are biracial that end up just picking a side. Usually, they pick a, the black side because that's what they are going to be looked as when you be when you're looked as um, by a cop or something like that. You're going to be looked at as black, so they just say, "Oh, okay, I'm, I'm black," even though they're biracial. So this isn't the first time this has happened, but it's just funny that a white person actually blames critical race theory on it when this isn't the right. first time. When it has nothing to do with the class that's being taught, it has everything to do with. The actual systematic racism. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, and I feel like she hasn't even asked him why, you know what I'm saying? He's chosen that. Cause I, what, what grade is he in? He's 13. So I'm assuming like eighth grade. So, so he's in eighth grade. So you, it could be something where he's getting teased for being black. So now he, he feels like he's forced to be black because it's like, okay, I'm I'm being told I'm black. He's probably getting picked on for being black, something along those lines. And that's why he's picking the black side over the white side because he, he sees how he's being viewed by the majority. You know what I'm saying? So it just doesn't have to be classes to make somebody feel like they have to pick a side. It could be somebody picking on them or them pointing it out or something along those lines. So I feel like she hasn't even talked to him on the reasoning on why he feels this way. She just, she just immediately goes to, oh, it's critical race theory. 
It's like you actually have a con- actually have a conversation with him and find exactly. out. Exactly. But yeah, that's crazy, bro. And moving on, we got the Migos breakup. So I seen this on I seen this <coughs> I seen this on Twitter yesterday. I seen that Offset ended up on unfollowing Quavo and Takeoff on on Instagram or something like that because Quavo and Takeoff got a project coming out together. Um, talking about damn, what was that shit? It's something about a hotel, some hotel project yeah, hotel that they got lobby. coming out. Hotel lobby they got coming out. Offset ended up unfollowing both of them. So a lot of people are starting to speculate like, is this the end of Migos? Will they ever get back together, or is this is this just a distraction for promo really? to get the project more mainstream so more people will listen to it. So how do you feel? I don't think they're breaking up until I literally hear one of them say, or even P, either P, Coach K, or one of the Migos themselves say that they are broken up. I'm not believing they are, just because we see people unfollow people all the time. That doesn't necessarily mean anything. They, they've tried to say Nicki Minaj got beef with certain people because she may have unfollowed certain people or vice versa with other celebrities because, oh, this person ain't following this person no more. It must be beef. And we don't know the reason Offset unfollowed Quavo and Takeoff. Is it weird? Yeah. But we don't know the reason. So just to jump to the conclusion and say, oh, they finally breaking up. I think people have may have been wanting them to break up after such a long time because they've been a group, bro, for, it's 2022? Like 12 years, not 12, 10 years. They've been a solid group for 10 years. Most hip-hop groups, damn, most most singing groups in general cannot say that, bro. Like how many successful groups can you really think of that have been together for 10-plus years? So even if they are breaking up, it's like, damn, they already broke the record of actually being together for damn near the longest time and actually putting out content, you know, all this time. And I ain't like the hate I was seeing with Migos. Everybody like, oh, the Migos is on a downfall for a long time. It's about time they broke up. Did y'all not hear Culture 3? Did y'all not hear all of the, the, the bangers on that album? That's why I be saying, I agree with what you're saying. The people were just waiting on this downfall, waiting for anything, any sliver of hope to say, oh, see, we told y'all, we told y'all they were breaking up because y'all didn't listen to Culture 3 because Culture 3 was a banger, bro. And y'all got to stop mm-hmm. acting like this is not the greatest rap group that we've ever seen, bro. So even if they are breaking up, bro, it is what it is at that point. But y'all got to accept what they are, bro. Either it's either, They're either one or two when you talk about best rap groups in this game, bro. So y'all got to stop hating on Migos in general like they haven't been dropping classics since 2012, bro. Y'all got to stop that shit in general. But I don't really like what I've been hearing about, oh, they going to go solo. See, this is what I would like. If they just stop making music, if they're not going to make music together, they should just stop making music, period. Because I don't think either of them separately are good enough to like be good enough solo acts. I think Takeoff had the best solo project, but I still don't think it was something that blew me away to be like, oh, he can be solo, he can be by himself, he can hold his own. Like I still feel like all three of them together bring out the best in each other because we heard each of their solo projects and they were just all okay. It wasn't nothing crazy. So if they were going to break up, I would want them to just go away completely and not go with the the solo thing because I don't think that's really the, the plan either. Well, when you say not doing the solo thing, do you mean just not doing features or anything or just not? They can do the features. They can do the features. I'm talking about projects. I'm talking about projects. Like I said, we heard those projects from each of them. And like I said, they were all okay. So I wouldn't agree with them just all 
branching out and being solo by themselves. It's like, uh, I already seen how that shit went for y'all. I, I really don't want to see that again, honestly. You feel me? So I think that's what I mean. I, that's what I think. If they stick together, the, the they're better together than apart for sure. Because even with um the City Girls, the City Girls stopped doing shows together, I think, at one point. And they there was um there was a time period like for damn near a year where they didn't have that many songs together but they were featuring separately they were featuring on a lot of people's tracks and people were trying to say then oh the city girls breaking up like jt and miami don't like each other no more or whatever and it wasn't that it was just the fact that they were just getting in their own lanes as musical artists and then what what do we see now they're back doing shows again together. They're doing interviews together and stuff like that. I think they got another project coming out either by the end of this year or like early next year or something like that. So I don't, I don't pay attention to the whole follow and unfollow thing because it's like we we're trying to create a whole story just off of a social media thing. Like, I don't know. So, yeah, I agree with that. All right. Moving on to the next one. We have the She-Hulk trailer reaction. So let me go to this shit. This shit finna be fire. Yeah, that shit look pretty good. Let me see. Somebody had put uh <laughs> oh man, niggas are ignorant. Somebody put she wreck. <laughs> is there anything more depressing than dating in your 30s? This is the best date I've had in a while. Oh. Should we split some fries? Let's get those to go. It looks fire, bro. I like it. I feel like they're going to put a lot of laughs in there. You see with the last scene, you know, her trying to date while being the Hulk. <laughs> so that that's going to be play with her love life and stuff like that. Um, but I, I think it's cool how they um, put Abomination in this because I was wondering where Abomination was going to fit in <laughs> after we saw Chong Chi in uh, September. I thought he was going to pop up in, you know, a more mystical type of show or movie or something like that. But he's um popping up in She-Hulk. So I'm excited for that. I don't know if they're going to fight. I hope so. So Yeah. And she might use him as like um a, excuse me, as like a sparring partner honestly. She might use him as that and it looks like they show like her actual villain that she's going to be fighting in the antagonist. It was like another hulking type of figure it was like another female though that's most likely going to be the antagonist and they might use abomination as like her sparring partner somebody she can go up against and might have to like test uh you know what i'm saying test our powers or something like that but i think abomination could be somebody that ends up being connected to the dark avengers with the uh, yelena belovas into the um what's my girl name my girl val from um falcon and the winter soldier like we can all see them being connected again to add to that group with John Walker too. I think that's one the next time we're going to see Abomination like in the future of the MCU after this show. But this show looks dope though. This show honestly looks dope. I agree that's going to be funny, and I would like to see how how if Hulk would just be like her mentor, and we will actually see him fighting as well. Will he actually be in the field with her fighting, or will he just like be on the sidelines for real? Cause we haven't seen him fight in so long, bro. Like yeah. after he got his ass beat by Thanos, we haven't seen him fight for that real. was it. That was it. So it's like you ain't really been the Hulk for a long time. You've been this bitch version, this uh smart Hulk version for a long time. And, and when we seen him fight in the end game, it, it wasn't nothing crazy. It was just like, okay, you're a part he of the fought action, in game? But 
Exactly. He was fighting the you know the Chatari army. He he was fighting the Chatari army and all that. He had like no solo fight scene. He was just in the background fighting. Was he in that suit? Or was he like Uh, actually the Hulk? Was he in? No, he he was that robot suit. Oh, okay. Yeah, he was. I remember he was in that robot suit for like one of the one of the movies. The only money shot that they got of him fighting in Endgame was when he punched. Like, he did a slow-mo punch of, like, one of the Chitauri flying worm things. And then that was it. You ain't really see him fight the rest of that time. See, that's what I would like Abomination to be used, where Abomination actually fights with the Hulk or something like that. That's what I would mm-hmm. like him to be used. You know what I'm saying? And then Hulk has to put him, like, back in his place or and back into that little, like, containment cell. Because when we've seen that in Shang-Chi, we seen when he was actually being, like, a sparring partner with Wong, and Wong ended up sending him back through that little portal. We see that mm-hmm. that containment cell was actually where he was actually sending him through through the portal. And that's where he's currently at right now. So that might be something that depowers him where he doesn't really fully power up in that in that cell. That's usually what that could be what he is. And the government only uses him in certain certain areas when they feel like he's absolutely necessary. So I don't know. That's where he could be used. But I, I'm really excited for this show. I think this is going to be good. This is going to be fine. And moving forward, we got the Daredevil series is in the work for Disney Plus as well. If you already didn't know, Daredevil had a three-season run on Netflix that was fire. I would advise anybody to watch that on Netflix. It might be on Disney Plus now. I don't even know. I think they added it. They added it to Disney Plus, I think. Yeah, it's on Disney Plus now. It was Daredevil and like four or five other shows that they added. Yeah, so you're going to have to watch it on Disney+, Plus, but it used to be on Netflix. That was a great run with uh, Vincent, uh, Vincent D'Onofrio. We already seen him in Hawkeye. He was um, Kingpin. You got Charlie Cox. We see him in... Uh, damn, what was that Spider-Man, movie? Spider-Man. No yeah, we see him in No Way Home. So we're going to get those two basically back in a Daredevil series that's currently in the works. I don't know if they will continue just like it was a season four from the past three seasons, or if they will do like a soft reboot for the character, but they say that they will uh, have a, a series for him on Disney plus as well. And I don't know how much I really like it though. I don't know. Cause I was like the last few series we've seen for grounded characters with Disney plus. Yeah. I've been disappointed. It's like, I'd rather Netflix pick that thing back up and keep it rolling. <laughs> than the, the Marvel, what I've been seeing recently, but that's something that is definitely in the works. And iPod discontinued. Yeah, so uh, May 10th, <laughs> Apple has finally announced that the iPod will be discontinued. After an electric and legendary run, they will no longer uh, be made, manufactured, whatever words you want to use for it. Like, they will be discontinued in stores, no longer sold. And I think they will just be completely obsolete after this year. So the iPod had an amazing run, but as the smartphones for Apple started getting just as good, if not better than the iPods, they served no purpose at that point. So, uh, yeah, I think the last iPods that are out there right now are probably like $199, and that's probably about it. The iPod was an error, though, bro. And I I think that's the biggest takeaway from this this story is because – Honestly, I don't even remember the last time I seen an iPod, so it wasn't crazy to see this article of like, oh, it's discontinued because it makes a lot of sense with the iPhone and everything like that. But the iPod was a time, bro, where that was the only thing you could honestly use to get your music and really work out and stuff like that. So (laughs) it's crazy to just think about it from that perspective of like, damn, that shit really is gone. 
Because and when you didn't have a phone, when you didn't have a phone, you had the iPod. That shit was crazy. <laughs> no underscore air times Jordan underscore underscore sparks. That shit was a crazy time, bro. That was a crazy time. But uh, yeah, man, definitely shout out to iPods, bro. They definitely got us through some treacherous times for sure. And um, the new Kendrick album reaction. So he did drop Mr. Morale and the Big Steppers this past Friday. It was a lot of mixed reviews. I honestly ended up seeing. I actually fought with the album, but how did you feel about it? Uh, it's not better than To Pimp a Butterfly. I thought it was going to be, but it's not. But it was really, really good. I honestly will give it a 8.5 out of 10 just because I feel this was a this was a different Kendrick. Like, I don't think we've ever heard this type of Kendrick before. The storytelling was phenomenal, but the sounds and the production that I heard and even some of the cadences that he was given with some of his raps, it wasn't bad. It was just different. It was very different, and it's not what I was expecting. But very solid project. I could see this being definitely in the lead right now for album of the year for sure. I love how, out of all artists, he had Kodak on there multiple times. Like, And you see the influence that he has on these younger rappers and the influence they even have on him. Like, to use the, the lingo that he used, the big steppers and Mr. Morale and the steppers and all that. And what is one of the main things Kodak says, you know, you know, big steppers, you know, and, and that's just a lingo that newer generations have used. So you see Kendrick being influenced and influencing. And I think that was a good thing that we've seen a, a difference in Kendrick from past albums, because I think this past album was really about like the plight of the black person, really trying to update you on like the religions and, the, and things like that. But he really took a turn. It, was, it felt way more personal throughout this album than past like he has some tracks in the past albums where it was like like i can think about you from to pimper butterfly like mama where it, it felt ultra personal but this whole album felt like he was really diving into like infidelity that he had in his past like fucking a white bitch and like the the mindset of going through all of that like going to therapy now like the grief that he's still trying to get over like, I feel like in past albums, like, his main takeaway was survival's guilt. That's always been his main takeaway. Like, oh, I've gotten out the hood, but I still feel like I should be in the hood. I feel like I, it's a guilt that I, sh I shouldn't be in this position that I'm in because I got so many people left back in the hood. But I feel like he's he even elevated from that sound to just go even more personal to what's going on in his day-to-day -day life. Speaking on his kids, talking about his uh, fiance Whitney, and things like that. And it's something that I wanted to see because I talked about it of you're the number one rapper now. We don't want to hear the, the same thing over and over again from you. So switching it up with the topics was the best thing for him. And I think it was something that I needed to hear. I don't think it was something that I wanted, but it was something that I needed for sure. So I definitely fuck with it, especially the second half of this album, because it was a yeah. double album. The first nine is what I honestly fuck with the most. But the second half is when he actually dives into everything and where you have it gets way more dense in that second half of the album. And that shit is, is, is that shit goes crazy. I fuck with like the Auntie Diaries is one of my favorite tracks. Um, with that N95, it's the, the worldwide steppers. That's when he talks about fucking the white bitch. Um, and it's another one that's my favorite shit on there, bro. Why the fuck am I blanking on it, bro? It's on the first half of the album. Damn, I've been playing that shit on repeat too, bro. You said it was on the first half. We cry together. 
We Cry Together is probably my favorite. That's probably my favorite song on that bitch. We Cry Together is some fire shit too. And like, once again, not just talking about, not just talking about the pro-black fight, but talking about the worldly views as well. And I think that We Cry Together really embodies like how the world sounds. Like he says it at the beginning of the song, like this is how the world sounds. And he's just talking about uh, going back and forth with a bitch, talking about fuck you, you know what I'm saying? Everything that's wrong with both uh, genders with the male and uh, the female, the arguments and things like that. So I felt like it was dope. But like yeah, I said, I don't think uh, it's better than uh, To Pimp a Butterfly, but I think it was something different that I wanted. Do What's the replay value you have on this album? Because I remember you said even with J. Cole's offseason, you were like, it was fire, but you ain't really running back to play it like that. Do you feel this, the same with this? <clears throat> oh, no, I'm going to replay it because... Kendrick's music is just so dense that you cannot understand everything that he is saying, even in the, the listens on the first week listens and even in the listens in the first month, you will not catch everything. You have to listen to his album multiple times to catch it. And I fell into that that problem with the To Pimper Butterfly at first. The first couple of weeks, I hated the To Pimper Butterfly. Like, honestly, a year or two later is when I actually started to like To Pimper Butterfly. And when I actually started to appreciate, like, this is one of the greatest albums ever. And that's why I don't think Kendrick is somebody that you can grade, like, first week or, like, first day reactions. You really can't go off of that. Because his album is going to grow on you to a point where it's like, damn, I fucking love this album. This happened with all of the albums that he's dropped. His music is just that dense that you can't understand everything. And I think with a lot of artists like A Future, with A Cole, you can high-key catch everything that they're saying. You can understand it fully. But with Kendrick, you can't. Like, if you give us a, a recap or a reaction in a couple of months, and if you say you don't like it, I can understand it. But usually the album usually grows on you, especially in that couple months process. How do you, do you think it has a lot of replay value? Uh... I would just say no. And when I listen to Kendrick, I, I don't necessarily listen for like hit hits, but I didn't really hear any hits for real on this album. That's another thing that I noticed. A lot of great content, a lot of great storytelling, like I said, but I can't see any of these songs being played in the club, on the radio, even really. Um, N95 probably would. Other than N95, I don't see a lot of these songs being played on the radio. But that that doesn't discredit the album at all. But I think those things still matter. Like, I feel like having a couple of songs that it's like, hey, this is a song everybody going to listen to and everybody should know. I feel like that still counts and that still matters. Value, though, I wouldn't go back to it a lot. It's a few songs on here that I'll go back to. But to say this entire album, I can just play like that, I, I can't say that. And I honestly didn't right like now. I didn't like I didn't like all of that Kodak that was on the album. Honestly, I would have been cool without it. Truthfully, I would have been cool without that Kodak. Damn, I think it would have been better without that Kodak for sure. I think it would have been better without the Kodak. I think a lot of yeah. people's favorite song on the album is that Silent Hill jump uh, with the. Uh, I think that's the one he be like push a nigga like uh or some shit like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, something like that. I think that's a lot of people's favorite song. But uh, yeah, I wasn't big on the Kodak on that album. I, I really wasn't. I think it would have been cool without him. Cause he had that one interlude too that I'd have been cool without that rich that rich interlude. You ain't fuck. That's my favorite shit on the whole album. Nah, <laughs> that's my favorite nah. shit. Him, him, and Baby that, King could have been off this album. I would have been cool too. But rich, rich interlude, um, Auntie Diaries, Worldwide Steppers, and We Cry Together. Those are my favorite songs off the whole album. Like because I think 
although Kodak isn't what he used to be anymore, he's still very poetic. And I think the way he just really put that whole poem of the rich interlude, like that, that shit was fire, bro. That was honestly, that was probably my favorite song on the whole album. Yeah. But I can see what Kendrick is trying to do. It like you said, going back to the the younger generation and the influence that is having on him. Because I think he does a lot of writing for Baby Keem, and Baby Keem and Kodak have a lot of similarities too. So you can see how he gravitates toward them and why they are the big steppers on this album. And I really fuck with Summer Walker on this shit too. I really yeah. feel like he wanted Rihanna to be on that song because that was the ninth song on that. I think it was that Purple Hearts or something like that. Yeah. I think he Purple really Hearts. wanted Rihanna to be on that because usually on every album, there's a Kendrick and Rihanna type of song. But since Rihanna really isn't making music anymore, he went to Summer Walker, who's the hottest name probably in R&B. And she really floated on that track, bro. That Purple mm-hmm. Heart slides, bro. I really fuck with that track, too. So, yeah. All right. All right, man. Let's move on to Past the Ox. What you got for Song of the Week? Told y'all, Rich Interlude off the off of Mr. Morale and the Big Steppers. Kodak, yeah, he has such a poetic penmanship with that um interlude. So Rich Interlude. And I got We Cry Together on that Kendrick album. Love that song for sure. And that Auntie Diaries is once again. I, I love that shit too. Yeah. All right, and moving on to movie and show reviews. Uh, Moon Knight. We've reviewed all episodes of Moon Knight from Disney Plus. Please go check all of those reactions out. Uh, Doctor Strange two. Uh, we did Doctor Strange two, right? Yep, that's up there too. Uh, we got to do Morbius. Uh, we got to do X. Everything, everywhere, all at once. Those are the next three big ones that we have to do for you guys. Uh, Jurassic Park or Jurassic World is coming out next month, so I, I think that's the next big movie. That we got to do coming up for y'all, and uh, it's a Marvel show coming out too. I think uh, Miss Marvel, Miss Marvel is coming out either the end of this month or early June. So we got a couple of things coming for y'all this uh, next month. All right, bro, you can hit him with the social media. You can follow us on Twitter at QE Podcast One. You can follow us on Instagram at QANDE Podcast. You can follow and like our Facebook page and subscribe to our YouTube at Q and Sign E Podcast. And our Gmail is QANDE Podcast at gmail.com. Yes, and you can subscribe to all of our podcast platforms. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. And you can subscribe to our QNE Media page. That is QNEmedia.com. Our Instagram is QANDE Media. And our Twitter is QE Media. And we appreciate you guys for listening. And we out. Peace.